So I love it. Love seeing all these babies at church. It's awesome. Um, but do you know what? It also can be a little bit scary right now bringing a child into the world, right? You look around at all the craziness, all the uh, chaos. Uh, you look at these last couple of years, how crazy everything has been. And I think it's easy to grow a little bit in despair, a little bit hopeless with all of this going on. I know a lot of people struggle with cynicism and despair. Uh, it seems like it's everywhere today. Um, and I think sometimes we forget about the goodness of God. I think sometimes we really don't truly believe in the greatness of God. Cynics can kind of go through life always feeling weary, always feeling defeated. And in essence, what they're doing, they're saying, I'm not really sure that God can do anything about my situation. In essence, they're saying, I don't really think that God cares anymore. Um, and so when we read Psalm 145, which is where we're going to be today, here's what I want you to know. It tackles that cynicism head on. It tackles that despair and says you can have hope. You don't have to worry because God has got this. He cares. He is good. He is great. And we can trust in him. I think sometimes we get so familiar with kind of the things of God that we lose our sense of awe of God. We just get so comfortable going to church and kind of even going through the motions a little bit. We forget uh, how awesome God really is. Um, Paul Tripp says this. He says, every human being has been hardwired by God to live in daily awe of God. So do we live in like daily awe of just saying God is so incredible? When you look at these little babies, you see the precious life that is before you. Doesn't that create a sense of awe in you? When you see how little these babies are and you, you, you look at that and you think, were, were my kids ever that little? I mean, it's just a sense of awe to think about who God is. And I think that's why Psalm 145 is important. Uh, Tripp calls it, he says, one of the Bible's awe passages. It just reminds you of that. Charles Spurgeon said this psalm is the crown of all the praise psalms that David wrote. And it serves as a model for us and how we praise God. And so today is about praising God. And as we read through this psalm today, and as we go through it, I want you to just start thinking about all of the attributes of God that are displayed for us. All of the ways that we can see who God really is and what he has done in our life. Um, Charles Spurgeon also said that when we don't have the desire in our human hearts to praise God, that we decide to based on what we know, not what we feel. And I'm telling you, and especially as parents, there are going to be times you don't really feel like praising God. There are going to be times when you're frustrated, you're tired, you're weary, you're worn out. You don't know which way to turn. And it's in those times that we praise God, not because of how we feel, but because of who he is, because of the truth, because of the facts we know about him, based on what we know, not what we feel. So let me give you a little background on this psalm, and then we'll jump in today. This psalm is interesting. It's an alphabetical acrostic. Uh, and so it's poetic. Uh, each line starts with a different letter of the, uh, of the Hebrew alphabet. 
I know sometimes you, uh, it's easy to make fun of preachers for trying to alliterate everything and have all the things line up and have the, the everything's rhyme. And I don't do that a whole lot, uh, but occasionally you do it. But when you look at a, a, a psalm like this, a poem, a, a song really, you see how much effort it took to kind of line everything up and explain everything. Um, and so this really, um, there's just, th- this was a, a really well-known psalm to the Israelites. Uh, They recited this psalm twice in the morning and once in the evening. And it was said that if a person sang this psalm out loud three different times during the day, that it would create in them a sense of happiness and joy. And so I I, kind of think, you know, we've lost some of that. And I know sometimes we, we, we strive to stay away from ritual and legalism. But sometimes we forget just the simple joy of meditating on God's Word and letting it speak in us and through us. And uh, today is kind of the first day of, of the Advent season leading up these four weeks into Christmas. And I just kind of want to challenge us. Can we, can we get in God's Word and get in the Psalms and really think about who God is and, and recapture some of that joy and awe? Because the reality is we all praise something. And if we're not praising God, then we're focusing on something else. For some, um, you know, have you ever noticed, like, if you're around some people, you just know, you automatically know what's important to them because they're going to tell you, right? Uh, I apologize in advance because I talk about my kids a lot. And um, I probably need to apologize to them for telling all the stories I've told about them. Um, but, you know, I really, I love my kids and I just, if you're around me, I'm, I'm going to pull out my phone and show you a video or a photo. I just, that's, you know, they're, I, I just like talking about them. For some people, maybe it's your job or your accomplishments. You just, I mean, you're talking to someone, it's going to come out and, and you're going to show them and, and talk to them about what you're doing. That's part of your identity. Uh, for some people, it's your hobbies. Um, like if you have a Peloton or you do CrossFit, you don't have to ask because they're going to tell you, right? I mean, you just know that they can't, I mean, it's just something they're going to be telling you about every day because people are passionate about it. And so uh, I'm just going to ask you this morning, are we, do we talk about God like that? Do we praise God like that? Where if people are simply around us, they know what's important to us. They know about our faith. They know about what we believe. They know uh, without, you know, it doesn't take, I hope it doesn't take long for people to be around you to realize that your faith is important. And so this morning, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at Psalm 145 and we're going to learn a little bit about why we praise God and, and some of the reasons behind that. Here's the first reason. We praise God because of his greatness. We praise God because of his greatness. Um, and again, this goes back to that sense of awe and wonder that we acknowledge who he is, uh, that we acknowledge he is God, we are not. Um, Psalm 145, I'll just pick it up in the first uh, uh, three verses here. I just scrolled and lost everything. Let's see here if I can find it again. In verse 1, it says this, I will exalt you, my God and King, and praise your name forever and ever. I will praise you every day. Yes, I will praise you forever. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. 
And, and that's how this psalm starts off. No one can measure his greatness, right? At the very start of this, David is just talking about how great God is. He is worthy of our praise. He is so great that no, no, nobody can even put it into words. Now, if you combine all the greatest minds and the smart minds of the world today, they could never really understand God's greatness. That's how big it really is. Greatness, though, is a word that we overuse, right? Because everything is great. Our sports team is great. The, the Virginia Tech game was great yesterday. Um, not to rub it in. But all the little things, you, you just kind of, we use all the, greatness is just like a relative term, isn't it? And we just throw it out there and we just, uh, everything is great. And our food was great and uh, Thanksgiving was great and everything's great. And, and I think we lose sight of what great really means. And I think it's almost like David here runs out of words to express how great God really is. But he is saying God is so much bigger, so much better. So much uh, more awesome than anything we could ever think or imagine that we have got to praise Him. It leaves us with no other choice. Now, earlier in this series, we talked about, well, how does David know uh, that God is great, that God is awesome, that God deserves our praise? And in Psalm 19, he talks about how God reveals Himself through creation. That all we have to do is look around us at the glory of his creation and we see the goodness and greatness of God. We talked about how he reveals himself through his word. And we, again, we see his goodness and his greatness through his word. But I want you to think about this. David was the most powerful king uh, you know, in, in, in that part of the world in that day. And yet he does not hesitate to bow down and worship God. Even with all the power, even with all the prestige, even with all of the influence that he had, he recognizes that he is nothing compared to God. Um, and, and I think that's really something that we, in our culture today, we tend to be so self-centered that we don't think anything or anybody is better than, than us. And we just, we, I don't know what this, this is in our world today, but we really need to acknowledge that when we say Jesus is the Lord of my life, that, that means He is the Master, that means He is God, that means He is in control, that means that we are submitting, we are yielding ourselves to Him. That He is God, we are not. And, and so don't miss the one little thing here in verse 1. He sa and He says, uh, I will praise you, my God and King. And I think that's important, that, that word my, because you cannot praise God unless he is your God. It is not just enough to know about God. It's not just enough if your parents uh, know God. Uh, you have to know God personally. Uh, he must be your God. And, and so for him to be your God, that means you have to accept the gospel message. That means you have to accept that you're a sinner separated from God because of your sin. And the whole reason that Jesus came was to die uh, in your place, to take the punishment that you deserve for your sins. And then he rose again to defeat death and the grave so that we could be with God forever. This gospel message is that, that, that Jesus came 
in our place. This is, this is what we, we can praise God about that. We can praise God that, that he is so much greater, that he was able to do what we could never do on our own. Uh, Derwin Gray, who's a pastor down there, Charlotte, he said this. He said, the greater our view of God is, the greater the impact he has on our lives and through our lives. And so when we view God and we understand who he is, it has a tremendous impact on our life. So let me ask you this morning, how big is your God? How big is your God? Is he big enough to handle all the things that come into our lives and that mess us up? Is he big enough to pick up the pieces of a shattered family, of shattered dreams? Is he big enough to handle your disappointment, your despair, your cynicism, your frustration? Because if we truly understand who God is, then we can give him all of this this load that we're carrying, all of this frustration that we're trying to handle on our own, and we can turn it over to him and trust him and we can praise him. I shared, uh, I think, last week, the verse out of Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, and Ephesians three uh, nineteen says, May you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand it fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who is able through His mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to Him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. When we read this in the New Testament, what we're we're reading is praise. This is Paul just praising God for who he is and saying, this is so much more than we could ever even think about, we could ever even comprehend. That is how good God is. And we praise him because of his greatness. The second reason we praise God, though, and this ties in with uh, the, the dedication service this morning. I wish I could say that I planned this to work out like this, but this is just how God works because I didn't even realize it until uh, later uh, that this tied in. We praise God so that future generations will know of his goodness. This is why we praise God. It's not just about us. We praise God, uh, the second point here, so that future generations will know of his goodness. Uh, Let me explain. Verse 4 in Psalm 145. Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. I will meditate on your majestic, glorious splendor and your wonderful miracles. Your awe-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue. I will proclaim your greatness. Everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness. They will sing about jo- they will sing with joy about your righteousness. The Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. The Lord is good to everyone. He showers compassion on all of his creation. All of your works will thank you, Lord, and your faithful followers will praise you. They will speak of your glory, uh, of your kingdom. They will give examples of your power. They will tell about all your mighty deeds and about all the majesty and glory of your reign. So this whole passage here is just talking about when we really talk about who God is, then it's passed down from generation to generation. This is so important that we impart this on, uh, that we praise the goodness, we praise God's works to each generation. Parents will tell their children 
who will tell their children. And this just keeps on going. But this also implies that parents have experienced the goodness and greatness of God so that they can share it with their children. Um, So David's first lesson is we've got to praise God every day, forever and ever, because he is so great. And so that our children and their children will will learn from us about the goodness and greatness of God. Uh, John Piper says this. He says, it is the biblical duty of every generation of Christians to see to it that the next generation hears about the mighty acts of God. God does not drop a new Bible from heaven on every generation. He intends that the older generation will teach the newer generation to read and think and trust and obey and rejoice. It's true that God draws near personally to every new generation of believers, but he does so through the biblical truth that they learn from the preceding generations. Do you know what's scary to me? Is that children will quickly forget the greatness of God when their parents don't teach it and when their parents don't model it. Uh, We have an example of this in Scripture. Uh, After God delivered the Israelites from Egypt, uh, we see how Moses led them out of Egypt. You see the the parting of the Red Sea. We see uh, the, the manna from heaven fall down. We see miracle after miracle displayed for them, showing the goodness and the greatness of God. And then we have... Uh, Joshua leading them after Moses has died. Joshua leads them into the promised land. See how, again, how God has provided for their every need. But there's one short verse in the book of Judges that just scares me a little bit. And Judges uh, 2.10. And it's after Joshua died. Um, And so this is just one generation after entering the promised land. After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. Does that scare you guys a little bit? That in one generation, the people forgot about God. I've always heard it said where Christianity is all, always one generation away from extinction. And that may be a little bit of hyperbole, but there's some truth to it. Um, and, in fact, uh, Dave White from Christ Chapel, he posted this on Facebook this week, and I thought it was interesting. It's a, uh, he said a four-generation fade. Um, and, and this is kind of interesting. The first, parents don't make church a high priority for their kids. And I would say not just church, but their faith in general. All right? uh, then kids grow up uh, and make it less of a priority for their kids. So the first generation kind of becomes less. Then third, those kids grow up and make it no priority for, for their kids. And then fourth, those kids grow up with no concept of God. Priorities today impact generations. Now, I love this, but I'm going to say I honestly take a little bit of an issue with it because I don't think we have four generations. <laughs> I think it's faster. In today's post-Christian world that we're growing up in, it doesn't take four generations for it to fade away. I think it happens even faster. I think it happens in one or two generations. With all the, the craziness the world is bombarding on our kids and teaching them that they don't need God, that God is just this made-up fairy tale, uh, that's what they're hearing constantly from the world around us. And if they don't see that our faith is real and that it impacts our life, It doesn't take four generations for it to fade away. It will happen in one generation. And and so let me just challenge you a little bit, right? Um, Are you really teaching and modeling for your family? 
And if you don't have kids for the, your extended family, for the people around you, the people you come into contact with, are you teaching them about the goodness and greatness of God? Are they seeing God at work in your everyday life? Now, Jennifer and I started working with youth a long time ago. A long time ago. Uh, over, it's been really over 25 years now. And so I have, I've seen a lot of anecdotal evidence over the years of this playing out. And um, I'll just tell you time and time again um, that we've seen parents make church and faith and youth group and any church activity, faith-related activity. When they make it, we'll do it if it's, if it's convenient. We'll do it if there's nothing else going on. We'll do it if as long as we don't have something better planned. I'm telling you, you will see those kids grow up. I've seen it so many times, so many examples. You will see it when their kids grow up. They, if they go off to college, they start their own families. So often, those kids, their faith is not a priority for them. And you wonder why. Because it was never a priority for them growing up. And I just share this a little bit. And I want to challenge you as new parents. This, you're, you're, you're creating a legacy and it starts right now. And I know there's exceptions to this. I know you can, have your, uh, your, your, you can raise your kids up in the Lord. You can have them at church uh, and, and have them involved and have them serving. And they still have a choice about whether or not they want to follow Jesus. I understand that. You can do everything right and still they, they still can, can make their own choices. But for, if you look at it, if you look at it from a broad perspective, I'm telling you, when you don't make faith a priority, your kids will not make it a priority in their life. This is why it's scary to be a parent. It's a big responsibility. Um, and you've got one chance and it's gone before you know it. I, I stand here, my youngest is a senior in high school, and it seems like just yesterday, right, that we were starting to have kids. I remember uh, bringing Emma home for the, you know, as a new parent uh, and, and, and bringing her home and like, where is the instruction manual? I, did, 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 did the hospital really, they just sent me home with this? Did they know who I, did they know I have no clue what I'm doing? I mean, I mean, it seems like just yesterday. Um, and, and so, guys, it, the time, it really does go fast. Um, and I just always tell my kids, hey, I'll just pay for your therapy because, you know, I know we probably messed you up a little bit along the way, but we did the best we could. And so, uh, you know, uh, I, I just I share this because this is so important that we pass down our faith to the next generation. And Psalm 78 is another psalm. It's a psalm of, of Asaph um, instead of David. But this is what he says. He says, Oh, my people, listen to my instruction. Open your ears to what I'm saying, for I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past, stories that we have heard and known, stories our ancestors handed down to us. We will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about His power, about His mighty wonders. For He issued His laws to Jacob. He gave His instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children so that the next generation 
generation might know them, even the children not yet born, and they in turn will teach their own children. So each generation should, should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting His glorious miracles and obeying His commands. Then they will not be like their ancestors who were stubborn, rebellious, and unfaithful, refusing to give their hearts to God. That's really the choice that's laid out before us. Do we want our kids to be faithful or faithless? Do we want our kids to be stubborn or do we want our kids to be obedient to God's call upon their life? That's really the choice we have. We, we pass this down. We pass along the goodness of God, the greatness of God, how God has worked. Do you tell stories to your kids and tell them about how you've seen God at work in your life and how He has answered prayers and how He has carried you through things in your life that you didn't even know you could make it through? That's what we've got to pass down. And finally, we praise God to remind ourselves of His promises. Let me read this final section. In verse 13 of Psalm 145, For your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. You rule throughout all generations. The Lord always keeps His promises. He is gracious in all He does. The Lord helps the fallen. He lifts those bent beneath their loads. The eyes of, the, of all look to you in hope. You give them their food as they need it. When you open your hand, you satisfy the hunger and thirst of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in everything He does. He is filled with kindness. The Lord is close to all who call on Him. Yes, to all who call on Him in truth. He grants the desires of those who fear Him. He hears their cries for help and rescues them. The Lord protects all those who love Him, but He destroys the wicked. I will praise the Lord and may everyone on earth bless His holy name forever and ever. What David is doing here, he's just reminding himself... He's reminding those who are reading this, God has promised to be there for you. He has not forgotten you. He has not left you all alone. And when you are struggling, you can count on God. That's what he's reminding them of. He helps the fallen. He lifts up those who are carrying too heavy of a load. You can look to Him with hope and faith. He gives food to you when you need it. Uh, he will satisfy you. He is righteous. He is filled with kindness. All of these are attributes of God that David is just reminding us that God's promises come with a guarantee. We can trust God because God keeps His promises. And so that's how he proves he is great. Because we can trust him. Because we have seen him answer uh, really prayer after prayer. We have seen him work in our life time after time. And you may not realize it in the moment, but you can look back and see how he was working out everything for the good. All right, Romans 8.28. Working out all those things out for the good, even when we didn't even understand it. Again, he closes with this. I will praise the Lord and may everyone on earth bless his holy name forever and ever. This is really the type of worship God wants. Now, we can come to church, we can lift up our hands, we can praise him. But what God really wants is us to bless him, to praise him, to honor him, to submit to him day after day, moment by moment. 
challenge by challenge, crisis by crisis, no matter what we're going through, He wants us to submit to Him. And so one of the most powerful ways you can begin to experience God's greatness is to start celebrating His greatness. Start acknowledging who He is and what He's done. And so today we do that with this baby dedication. We get to step back and praise Him for this blessing of life. We get to stand back and praise Him about the awesome responsibility He's given us. Um, But we just get to stand back and look at, hey, God has got me to where I'm at right now. He has been faithful. And I think back through my life, through the people He's put in my path, through the decisions that were made, through the opportunities I was given, Time after time after time, even when I didn't realize that God was at work. And I want to praise him today for that. And I hope that we as a church, uh, everybody listening, everybody online, I hope we could just step back and say, God is good. God is good. Let's pray today um, and we'll have a chance to worship him today. Heavenly Father, we just praise you for who you are, for what you have done. Lord, it's so incredible to see these children and these families that are starting out. And Lord, give them the strength. Lord, help give them the wisdom and guidance that they need to raise these children up in godly homes. Lord, as a church, we'll come along beside and pray for them and help them and encourage them. Lord, I want to pray that you would just help us acknowledge that, God, you are great, you are good, that you keep your promises, and we can praise you even in the midst of our hardships, even in the midst of our uncertainty, even in the midst of the chaos. Lord, we can come to you and we can trust you because you are good and you do care about us. You've not forgotten about us. And Lord, it all starts when we surrender our lives to you. When we trust you, when we put our faith and our faith, you know, our faith and and we trust in Jesus and in Jesus alone to save us. When we cry out to you, when we surrender to you, you hear our prayer, you forgive us of our sin, you give us a new heart, a new purpose, a new mission. And Lord, help us to teach that to the to the to the next generation. Help us to model it so that they know how important you really are to us. Lord, help us to really keep our priorities really in line with what they need to be. Uh, Lord, we just thank you this morning. We praise you. We lift up the name of Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen.